This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Well, if you're home, why don't you be seated and take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. I've prayed a lot about what to preach right now in this moment. And and I have to tell you, it's a little bit of a balancing act. We started right before uh, we weren't able together in a study of the Gospel of Luke. It had been my intention to be in the Gospel of Luke for the entire year. Uh, But I do trust Proverbs 69, which says, The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps, which means we make plans and we hold them loosely. And so I, I know that in some ways there's a part of me that says, hey, let's just get back to normal. Let's just make this as normal as possible, which would mean we just jump back into the Gospel of Luke. But on the other hand, this isn't a normal moment. And I really believe that God has something for us in this moment. We have to trust the Lord's leadership. We have to trust that God is doing something. And I do believe he's doing something. I don't know fully what that is, but I do know I want to be sensitive to it. And so at the same time, I I don't think we just need to go back to just what we had normally planned. I also don't want us to spend eight weeks talking about pandemics. I didn't think about that. I mean, there's a case to be made here. Uh, There's a lot of pandemics in the Bible. I thought about doing something on biblical pandemics, you know, just a light eight-part series on all the pestilence of the Bible. I even thought about a, a title for the whole series. We could do pestilence, plagues, rashes, and oozing sores. The promises of God in the midst of pandemics. I promise you there's at least 12 weeks of sermons from the Old Testament exactly on that. I can't see your reaction, but I would imagine you're at home thinking, that's genius. I know, and I think someday it'll be a book. But I don't think we want to spend this time together on Sunday morning thinking more about a pandemic. I think you're hearing enough about that throughout the week. But somewhere in the middle is a balance. And so what I want us to do is I want us to take a break from Luke. I want us to just try to listen to what the Lord is saying to us in this moment, recognizing this is not a normal time. And I think a great place for us to be is in Psalm 23. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you a bit of an overview of Psalm 23. I want us to see the placement of Psalm 23 in the book of Psalms and why its placement right here as the 23rd Psalm matters to us and how in the midst of that placement, it's teaching us something that I really believe God wants to show us at this very moment. So Psalm 23 is placed right in the middle of three Messianic Psalms. By Messianic Psalms, I mean Psalms that are prophetically pointing us toward the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24, three prophetic Messianic Psalms. Now, look at Psalm 22 with me for a minute. Psalm 22 is a prophetic picture of the suffering of Jesus Christ. The entire chapter is pointing us for a Messiah who would come and who would suffer for our sins. Now, look at verse 1 of Psalm 22. It starts by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Those are the words that Jesus uttered on the cross. He uttered those words because Jesus knew that Psalm 22 was a prophetic picture of his suffering. 
And Jesus utters those words to remind us that the greatest agony of the cross was not the physical pain, but the emotional and spiritual pain, where for the first time in all of eternity, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was separated from God the Father, because in that moment, he was bearing upon himself all of the penalty, all of the weight, all of the guilt of our sin, taking upon himself all of the wrath of God. And in that moment, God the Father turned his face away from Jesus because all of his wrath was turned upon him for our sake. Psalm 22 is pointing us to that moment. But look at verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 22. It says, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Do you remember what was happening as Jesus was on the cross? And they were saying, well, he saved others. Why can't he save themselves? They mocked him as he was on the cross. And Psalm 22 points us to that moment. Look at verse 16 in Psalm 22. It says, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. Listen, they have pierced my hands and feet, pointing us to the kind of death that Jesus would die, that there would be nails put through his hands and nails put through his feet. Verses 17 and 18. I count all my bones and they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. That's exactly what happened. That they took the clothes of Jesus and cast lots to see who got them. Everything in Psalm 22 is a prophetic picture to Jesus Christ who would suffer for our sake and take it upon himself the penalty for our sins. And then you go to Psalm 24. Psalm 24 is also a prophetic picture, but it is a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ who would one day ascend and then return to rule and reign over his creation for all of eternity. Look at Psalm 24. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it on the rivers. Jesus is the creator, sustainer of the universe. It says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? The answer is the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. The only one that has ever had clean hands and a pure heart is Jesus Christ. And after his death, burial, and resurrection, what did he do? He ascended to the hill of the Lord, where right now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a picture in Psalm 24 of the ascension of Jesus Christ, clean hands, pure heart, having paid the penalty for our sins, have been risen to walk in new life, and now there he is waiting to return. And that's what it pictures for us at the end of Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. It's picturing us the Jesus of the book of Revelation who will one day come and he will create an incredible battle in which all of his enemies will be destroyed and he will rule and reign on earth once again. Psalm 22, a prophetic picture of the first coming of Jesus. Psalm 24, a prophetic picture of the second coming of Jesus. And right in the middle, Psalm 23. Now, if Psalm 22 is about what Jesus did in his first coming, and Psalm 24 is about what Jesus did, is going to do in his second coming, then Psalm 23 is what, about what Jesus is doing right now. What is Jesus doing right now? 
Because we live in the time between Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. So what is Jesus doing in that time? And what are we doing in that time? What Psalm 23 reminds us of is the way in which we are to live and what Jesus is doing between Psalm 22 and Psalm 24, between his first coming and his second coming, Psalm 23 teaches us what Jesus is doing in the way in which we live in that moment. You could say it this way. Psalm 22 is Jesus suffering for our justification, saving us from our sins. Psalm 24 is Jesus returning for our glorification, saving us from this world. And Psalm 23 is Jesus present and active in our sanctification, working in our lives right now in this moment. Now, this is significant. I love the way in which God in his sovereignty has put the Bible together exactly the way it should because to just see Psalm 23 alone does not give us the full picture of salvation. The full picture of salvation is this, is that we must receive the Jesus of Psalm 22. We must know that we cannot pay for our own sins, that we don't have clean hands and a pure heart, that God demands perfect righteousness. Jesus was that righteous one who took upon himself all of our sins so that by being separated from God, we could have intimacy with God. And there must be a moment in your life in which you call upon the name of the Lord. You trust him alone to pay for your sins. You say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've sinned against you. I know I'm not worthy to be your child or to be eternity in heaven with you. But I'm trusting in Jesus's death as the payment for my sins. There must be a moment in which you do that. If you haven't done that, I'm begging you to do it now. Even at the end of our time together this morning, just get on your knees and call upon the name of the Lord. If you're there with others, tell them that you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ. And then it reminds us that those who have been saved in Psalm 22 wait with great hope for the return of Jesus in Psalm 24. The fulfillment of our salvation. When we're completely saved from sin and from Satan and from all of the things and difficulties and troubles of this world. But listen, in between those two moments is the day-to-day life we live right now. And we have to make sure that we do not make the mistake that so many people try to make, and it is this. To accept the Jesus of Psalm 22 and accept the Jesus of Psalm 24, but not embrace the Jesus of Psalm 23. Meaning, I want Jesus to save me from my sins, and I want to go to heaven, but I don't want him involved today. That's not salvation. Salvation is trusting him to pay for my sins, Embracing him as the Lord of my life today, choosing by faith to walk with him until he returns or takes me home. See, Psalm 23 reminds us that Jesus saves us, that he might change us and transform us, inviting us to trust and follow him. Trust him with our day-to-day lives and the way in which he is navigating those lives. To follow him looking to him every moment as the Lord of our lives. This is why I believe that the most important verse in Psalm 23 is in verse three. Look at it with me. It says this, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's that's Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is us submitting to the leadership of Jesus Christ 
following him in the path of righteousness until he makes that righteousness complete when he returns. So when Jesus comes and invites us to follow him, what is he doing? He's saying this, he's saying, I'm walking the path of righteousness and I'm inviting you to trust me enough to follow me every moment of the day as I lead you in that same path of righteousness. This is why in John 10, Jesus says this, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one that leads you in the paths of righteousness. And Lord willing, we'll look more at John 10 next week. It tells us that those who are his sheep are the ones who hear his voice and they follow him. So how do I know if, if I'm one of the sheep? Well, John 10 tells us sheep listen to his voice and they follow him. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd that I have come in order to lead you in the paths of righteousness. But here's what I love so much about Psalm 23. Psalm 23 paints a picture of what the paths of righteousness are really like. I don't know what was explained to you when you came to Christ. I don't know if someone sat down with you and said, hey, listen, this is the first decision you make to trust and follow Christ. And then you do that every day for the rest of your life. And they showed you a little bit what that path looks like. Most likely nobody said that to you. So Psalm 23 reminds us, hey, listen, if you've chosen to trust Christ, Psalm 22, and you're waiting for him to return, Psalm 24, look at what this path is like. So look with me at Psalm 23 as I read the whole thing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That last verse leading us right to Psalm 24, as we see what it's like to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But did you notice the ups and downs of Psalm 23? Do you notice the kind of path it portrays for us? It's a path of green pastures and quiet waters. How many of you need a little bit of green pasture and quiet waters this week? How many of you would love to be led to some quiet waters all alone and some green pastures? I know we're feeling that this week. But you know what? It's, it's also a path of the valley of the shadow of death and the presence of enemies. It's a path of comfort and restoration. The reason that he restores our soul is because he knows our souls get exhausted and they need restoration. It's also a path of weeping and fear. It's a path of exhaustion. It's a path of restoring. That all of those things are clear on Psalm 23. That it has some ups and it has some downs. I've been reading through the Old Testament this year. I'm reading our normal Bible reading from uh, the New Testament, but then I'm reading through the Old Testament and I just finished the book of Numbers. I'm just reminded about how that journey of God's people from Exodus all the way to the end of Joshua is a picture of our journey with Jesus. So God supernaturally, by his sovereign grace, delivers them from Egypt by the shed blood of a lamb. 
He then brings them out. They journey through the wilderness in order to get to the promised land, which they take full possession of at the end of the book of Joshua. That whole journey is a picture of what it looks like to walk with Jesus Christ. So I love the fact that right after they're miraculously saved from Egypt, they have a whole chapter where they sing a hymn of praise to the Lord. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you, we trust you. Thank you for saving us. And the next place God takes them is a desert. That's the next place they go. And they grumble and they complain and they want to go back to Egypt. And then God takes them to a place of abundant springs and they're fine. And you know where he takes them next? A desert. And then he takes them to a place of abundant springs. And so it is the path of righteousness. And every time they find themselves in a desert place, they complain and they grumble against God as if to say, God, it wasn't supposed to be this way when the reality is, is that's exactly the way it is because we live in a broken world. And the only time we are going to experience constant, eternal times of refreshment and those springs is Psalm 24 when Jesus Christ returns and establishes his kingdom on earth. But until that moment, our life looks a lot like Psalm 23. It looks a lot like the people's journey to the promised land because that's life. That's life between Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. Psalm 23 reminds us that the path of righteousness that God has us on is not a straight line. The life and the path that God has us on is is not a trafficless six-lane highway where we cruise control all the way to heaven. It's not the way it looks. The path of righteousness is a winding road with hills and valleys and twists and turns and potholes and fog and Atlanta traffic. That's more of what the journey looks like. I love the way John Piper says this. Listen to these words. Listen carefully. He says, life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next and then finally to heaven. Life is a winding and troubling road. Switchback after switchback. And the point of the biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth is to help us feel in our bones, not just know with our, with our heads that God is for us in these strange turns. God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. He is plotting the course and managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. He's not just there after things get messy to clean it up. No, he's the one plotting the course. Why? Because he's leading us in the path of righteousness. You know why Psalm 23 is so great at a funeral? It's because what you have in the audience is a group of people whose lives have been disrupted. They've lost a mother or a father, a husband, a wife, a brother, a sister, a son, or a daughter, a friend, a loved one. And what they're wondering at that moment is how do they navigate life now when life has taken a turn that they didn't expect? And what we discover from Psalm 23 is that the way that we navigate life when it takes unexpected turns is we follow the good shepherd and trust that he is leading us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, this is exactly why I think Psalm 23 is so good for us right now. Because Psalm 23 reminds us that this moment 
is not an interruption to your path. This moment is your path. Let me say that again. This moment is not an interruption to your path. This is the path. This is the path of righteousness. And how you respond in this moment is going to determine how much progress you make on the path. Our lives have been disrupted. Nothing is the same. God has disrupted our lives. He's shaken our routine. Everything is different. We have extra time at home. We have more times with kids, more time alone. We have a different pace than we normally have. We have new anxieties and worries, whether it be for family members or for sickness, whether it be concerns over our finances and our work. This is a new moment. This is not an interruption to your path. Listen to me carefully. This is your path. A sovereign God has sent you a shepherd named Jesus Christ who has promised to lead you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake, and it's exactly what he's doing right now, and how you respond makes all the difference in the world. So here's what's so heavy on my heart. I'm afraid that in the midst of this moment, we're just going to resent it. Or we're just going to want to speed it up. We're just going to want to bypass it. When in reality, God is doing a new thing. God is saying something new. God is working something new. And if you spend all of your time just frustrated and irritated and resenting this moment and doing everything you can to just get on the other side of the moment, then what you're doing is you're missing the moment and everything God wants to teach you in this moment to lead you in the path of righteousness. And I'm just... I'm just overwhelmed thinking this week about all the families out there whose kids are so busy they never have a meal together and now they're stuck at home and they can eat together. All the couples who never talk and now they're stuck at home. There's so many things out there for every stage of life that God has disrupted and what I want you to see is instead of resenting it, receive it as the path that God has you on and make the most of it because God wants you to come on the other end of this, having walked further down the path of righteousness than you ever would have without this. Church, God is doing something in your life, in your family's life, in the life of our church. And how we respond is going to determine the distance we make it in the path of righteousness. This is the path that God has set before you. Let's walk it well. Let's walk it with joy. Let's walk it with open ears, listening to what God says to say, with open eyes, looking for new opportunities that you would have never noticed otherwise. Because you can trust the good shepherd. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly where he's leading you. And he's inviting you into a life in which you know him in the paths of righteousness and experience the comfort and the joy that only he can give. Let's embrace it and trust the heart of the good shepherd. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.